So we are continuing on in our series, uh, Bumper Sticker Theology, and as I said last week, I just love to see how people talk about God on their bumpers. Um, and this one, this week, you know, I uh, think this one's kind of poignant, right? You want to meet God? Keep texting while you drive. That, that one hits a little close to home at times, but um, anyway, so I have to share with you when I began kind of working through the scriptures after I chose them long ago, I got kind of called back to the beginning of chapter 3. That wasn't what you were told I was going to preach on last week. But it's interesting to me, when, when you come up to this conversation of meeting Jesus, you have kind of different ways that people do it. And one of the things that I'm going to begin with, because this is how Paul starts in chapter 3, you come to this point of Jesus' return. We say this oftentimes in traditional liturgy. We believe that Christ has died. We believe that Christ has risen. We believe that Christ will come again. This is part of what we have embraced as believers. And so you have this one conversation. And, and why I hesitate to go there is because we see such sensational images of this very significant belief out there in the media. We see movies, we see pictures, we see seminars, we, and they usually involve like a, a beast or a very threatening type of situation about Jesus' return when that's not it at all. Somehow how along the way, we, we've kind of gotten a, a convoluted message going. And, and so while I hesitate to preach a little bit on the second coming, and we're going to move on in chapter 3 because Paul does, I'm going to do it anyway. Now we're going to move on, as I said, to one of, and I just want to give you the heads up, I want you to listen for it, to one of the most significant phrases, I think, in the New Testament. Paul begins setting the stage, talking about the circumstance of the time, and so we're going to do that for our day. And then Paul moves us into this phrase that tells us, again, a very basic belief of Christianity, that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I'll read it in just a minute. You'll hear more. But that one phrase is what is able to take us from the context of Paul's day, the early church, 2,000 years later, to the context of ours. So I'm going to ask you to make that move with Paul, with me. Um, listen up for those words. Also, I'm going to be calling out a, a generational study. And if you're of that generation, I don't mean to be talking about you as if you're not in the room. But it's, it's interesting. Again, it will name part of our context. So I think it's important. If you will, please stand. We'll get on to the scripture. This morning, it's um, selected verses. In Timothy chapter 3, it's a little different from that, so just follow along with me. Beginning of Timothy chapter 3 and then at the end, 2 Timothy. You must understand this, that in the last days distressing times will come, and here's why, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, 
treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to outward forms of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid them. And over to verse 14. But as for you, people of God, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired is the inspired word of God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And Lord, let us, well, let us pray. Gracious God, we know that you are the inspiration of our lives, at least when we're aware of your presence. We know that your word was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and today, Lord, we trust that your living word will be inspired the same. Descend upon us with your Holy Spirit so that we may not just be hearers of the word, but doers guided by your Holy Spirit. For it's in the name of Christ that we follow you. Amen. So a quick riddle for you. What do a comet, a hill in Rome, a fire in London, and Christian teaching all have in common? I gave you a little bit of a hint. In the scripture, what do a, fi- a comet, a fire in Rome, a hill in Rome, a fire in London, and Christian teaching all have in common? They predicted the end of the world time and time again. Haley's comet comes through every 76 years or so. I can remember the last time it came through in my lifetime. People were anxious. Well meaning people were anxious. In the year 1000, the Pope was convinced that Jesus would absolutely return. That was a significant year. And so he called the faithful in Rome to ascend a hill right outside the city so they could be the first to meet him when he came back on the clouds. Well-meaning, no doubt, eager to meet God. A fire in London in 1666. A fire in London destroyed 13,000 homes and the people became convinced that given the year 1666 and all these uh, homes being destroyed by fire, that meant that Jesus was coming again any day and they better be ready. Again, people who are well-intended, perhaps hopeful, maybe a little bit fearful. There's some of that going on too, of course. We, We heard of distressing times that Paul described. We have this word that has been understood, misunderstood, yet, God help us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. How is it that we understand what is going on in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy? Paul approaches us and asks us, 
a simple question, are you ready to meet God? He presents that to us, and in this context, in his day, they thought Jesus was coming back any minute. And you can see it throughout scriptures, and I'm just going to say this, there are about 20 scriptures out of 31,000 that talk about the end of the world. And when we say that in Christian teaching, it's, it's the end of one age, the beginning of another. So there are about 20 scriptures, but they're important. They're important because they help us understand the faith and, and how it is that so much of what we understand, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is written for specific times and places, then and now. And so we proceed to understand what was going on then in 2 Timothy. The church is in its infancy. It's about 20 to 40 years old, we think, when Paul wrote this letter. And the people are anxious. They're convinced that Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. They're basing it somewhat on Scripture. They're basing it somewhat on the false teaching of others who prey on hopeful people. And Paul addresses Timothy and he says, you got to stand up to this. This is not what I want my people to focus on. The con artists have moved in to manipulate hope into fear. And the con artists are taking advantage of the people whose hope for Jesus is foundational to faith. Whose hope for the presence of God is part of who we are. Whose hope for that relationship to make a difference in this world. When they're anxious and fearful and times are changing rapidly and they're misunderstanding, that makes them easy targets. And so Paul speaks into this context. And he says to Timothy, he says to believers, he says to teachers of faith, he says to all of us then and now, be careful in what you listen to. Be careful about what you allow to come into your lives. Be careful. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a litmus test. Here it is. So many people will speak and will sound as if they are teaching the faith, and yet it's an outward form of godliness that has no inner meaning. You remember when Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, dead inside but looking pretty on the outside? That's kind of what's going on here. Be careful of these teachers, Paul says, for they will have the outward form of godliness and yet void on the inside. Here's how you know, people of God, if this teaching is false, these people will be lovers of themselves. Self-promoters. These people will be lovers of money. Their priorities are out of whack. These people will be boasters. They will be arrogant. They will be abusive. I like this one. They will be disobedient to their parents. Ouch. It's a capital offense in the Jewish law to disobey your parents. They will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Sound familiar? Not to anybody in this room, I'm sure. I'm on notice. It's a huge responsibility 
to pay attention to, to look for, to understand what it is God is trying to show us. And so we begin in 2 Timothy and we look at to this, to this context to begin to understand how it is that Paul, as Paul always does, speaks, almost always, speaks into a very specific situation. And he's speaking in, again, to this situation where people are ready, just sure that Jesus is coming back. And he's speaking into a situation where they're anxious and that hope has been turned into fear. We see this in Paul. He writes to churches, right, about some of the things going on in the church that he needs to address. He's writing to a Christian leader here. Paul himself was pretty sure Jesus was coming back any day. For example, one of the things he said to the church at Corinth and the Christians there at Corinth, don't get married. Anybody out? (laughs) Because if you get married, the natural occurrence would be offspring. And if there are offspring, it could be terrible in the last day. Paul was ready and oftentimes giving folks instruction. Are you following? Very situational. Very contextual. And yet... Inspired truth by the Holy Spirit takes us from one context into our own. And we begin to process some of which is going on. What is it that Paul is now saying to our generation? To beware? Absolutely. To be aware? Absolutely. But to know that when God's word is inspired... Again, it transcends time and place and situation. And that too is foundational to who we are. Foundational to how it is we experience the inspired word both on a page and in our lives. Our context. We're going to move with Paul in our context. So just a few years ago, maybe after, I think, about 2015, 2014, a Pew Research poll came out to say, describing our context, the poll said the largest growing religion among those from uh, 18 to 25 is, guess what, the largest growing religion? None. When asked to check a box as to what your faith is, those of this generation, and again, just a few years ago, the box that's being checked more often than it used to be is none. Our context, our situation. Now, why is that? Why have things changed so much? False teaching, perhaps, absolutely. People failing to live the inspired word of God. How is our witness? Part of it. CNN went into that. I'm going to be a little wonky here. CNN went into this study to say that 20% of those who checked that box have none as their religion because of what they read online. Our context, the reality of the world in which we live, and I'm not talking about what they read in line from progressive or traditional either side. It's all of it, people of God. It's all of it. And so then another group, an evangelical Christian group called Barna, wanted to take that study into even a more specific context. And this one may sound familiar. 
Barna has a book out called You Lost Me, and their study was restricted to 18 to 25-year-olds who were raised in the church but who chose to leave it. I know that one hits close to home. This is our context. This is the world to which we are called. And we can bemoan it and we can complain about it. We can point fingers. We can click our tongues. But y'all, that response is not going to change things. It's not going to change things. Barna in their book, You Lost Me, and we'll do a study on this sometime. They have five reasons why those raised in the church have left it. One of them is the church doesn't look like the world that's around them. Still the most segregated hour of the week. Doesn't look like high school. Doesn't look like the supermarket. Doesn't look like it. And, and, and it starts to rub against experience. We're too judgmental. We've heard that one for a long time. We're too judgmental. We can't square and we try too hard to square science and creation get over it God is sovereign and hallelujah God works in all sorts of ways and they're fed up with with that tug of war and that those accusations and too much time wasted on on an argument that really doesn't matter so again we're setting the context and again we can fuss about it we can try to counter it but but this is what we're told. So how is it now, moving from false teaching, moving perhaps from very faithful people who've kind of gotten off course for one reason or another, how do we move from that situation with Paul into our situation now, knowing that texting while you're driving is not the only way to meet God too soon? Public service announcement, 20% of all accidents now are caused by someone texting or on their phone. 14% of car fatalities are caused by someone using their phone. Back to the Bible. (laughs) People are meeting Jesus all the time, folks. We're representing Jesus all the time. So our question is, how does the inspired word of God transcend time, space, place, culture into a faithful witness now. We can't get hung up on the other. Matthew 24 says we're not going to know when Jesus is coming back. It's not for us to know. Just live every day in faith because you'll meet him and so will somebody else. So this is where Paul takes us. And like I said, I think this is just one of the most beautiful, important passages. All scripture is the inspired word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit so that we can make that move, so that we can bring the word of God into our context. We don't live in Rome in the year 1000 when they wanted us to all ascend a hill. We don't live in London in 1666, which that's just a number, a symbol. How is it? Again, that we are called upon today to live those whose lives are inspired by Christ. In the book that I mentioned, You Lost Me, they go through, like I said, about I think it's five chapters of reasons that young adults, or I think it's particularly millennials, but anyway, have left the church. 
Again, asking us all to consider the context, the formative years of most of these folks and those younger, and even some of us older, the formative years have been post 9-11, right? When the world became fractured even more and when terrorism was not something that was happening overseas but something that happened right here in our country. Once that unified us, but now as time has gone by, the context is we've become more separated than ever before. This is our context. Folks of that generation and the rest of us too, I guess I could just say this blanket statement, have been shaped by the failure of the banks in 2008-09. Charlotte felt it, have watched their parents lose jobs, lose homes. How is that shaping our world today? They've seen the failure of the church in abusive situations. Not ours, thank God. Our denomination takes very specific actions to ensure safety of all, particularly children. This is part of the context in which faith is inspired. So we have this, we have um, the failure of institutions, we have the attack on institutions, all of this, the context in which we live. So how is it that Paul would ask us to speak now? What is our inspired truth? Not just in the reading, not just in the hearing, but in the living. And I love it. At the back of this book, we get suggestions. One guy, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's head of an evangelical alliance in England. And his suggestion is the gospel that needs to be preached now. The gospel that this world, our world, is longing to hear. Both those who are in the church, those who have left the church, those who've never heard of Jesus at all, which that's out there as well in our context here in the States. The gospel that needs to be preached more than any other, the gospel that's authentic to this time and place, the gospel that's the priority for us is the gospel of reconciliation where God has reached out to us, bringing us in relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Plain and simple, foundational, and yet that's not so often what the world hears coming from the church, that God loves this world so much that he gave his only son. How are we doing with that? The gospel of reconciliation speaks to our time, our place, our context, because it is so broken. The world's always been broken, but particularly now it's highlighted. The gospel of reconciliation, God seeking us out, God loving us that much. The reconciliation of us to God, it doesn't stop there. The gospel of neighbor to neighbor being reconciled. Those who've been formed by the last 20 years, young and old, need to hear the inspired truth. The gospel of reconciliation that brings us to God, that brings us to neighbor. And dare I say what Jesus said that has us praying for our enemies. How we doing? This, perhaps, is the inspired truth. That's what I'm proposing today. How we doing? With that absolute inspired truth. 
that God so loves this world that we are now called to be in relationship with God so that we can be in right relationship with everyone else. And you know one of the common things that's going on then and now, so often fear takes the place of hope. And for the Christian, that won't do. We are a people who watched God go in the grave and come out. And when fear is being manipulated by false teaching, when fear is being manipulated by lovers of money or boastful people, conceitful people, when fear is being manipulated and called forth from a people that are about hope, heaven help us. And we must counter that narrative for our sake, for the sake of the world. That's not too big thinking. We must counter the narrative that seeks to sow fear, sow division, sow separation that tells us to be afraid of our neighbor rather than to know that God has brought us all together. That's the inspired truth for 2019 heading into 2020. I'm sure there are other ways that God is speaking to us, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wants us to be a people of reconciliation and a people of hope for the world. Heaven help us. Holy Spirit, come. Lead us, guide us, inspire us. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, again, we submit ourselves to the inspiration of your spirit. Help it to be so. We submit ourselves to the teaching of Christ, salvation through faith. Help it to be so. We submit ourselves to the inspired word of God as it has transcended time and space and culture. All categories that humans seem to try to divide ourselves by to know, God, that you have called us to one family, reconciled through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, reconciled by the hope for humanity that casts out any fear. God, help us to live inspired by your spirit. Amen. So we moved to Charlotte about... Nine or ten years ago, and I'll never forget the beginning of kindergarten when my five-year-old came home and said, we learned what to do with an active shooter drill today, Mom. And I went into the bathroom and cried so she wouldn't see my fear. Now, I'd be shocked if I didn't hear that. That's our context. That's the world that needs our hope. And God has inspired us to speak into it. And God will help us to do so. Go forth knowing that you and I are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen.